You are Locked On the NFL, your daily NFL podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Well, hello, hello, hello. I am Matt Williamson. This is the Locked On NFL podcast, as we do every Wednesday. We have Mark Schofield on. We're going to have Mike Sando tomorrow. But I wanted to tell you uh, real quickly about something we got going on with with the, the podcasting app called Himalaya. Uh, you can now get Locked On NFL on the brand new podcasting app, Himalaya, as well as the ones you've been using like Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify. And do me a favor too, and when you get in your car, tell your smart device to play Locked On NFL. So Mark, how are you, my man? I'm doing well, buddy. I'm doing well. We got a lot to talk about. We're going to talk, I think, some pro day stuff. Yeah, how much start we count for pro days and all, all sorts of good things. S- some bad three cone time. So, yeah, I mean, we got a lot to talk about. So, excited to dive in. Let's start with Jalen Ferguson's pro day. Oh, boy. And, boy, this is a disaster. And this is the numbers I got off of Twitter. Came in at four, 406 or 404. Geez. Came in at 6046. Which means he's six foot four and three quarters inches, two hundred and seventy one pounds, ran two forties in the low four eights. Not wonderful, but not the worst thing I ever heard either. Ten his ten yard split was one six nine and one seven flat. Twenty four on the bench. Yeah, I don't really care that much about that either. Thirty two inch vertical, nine nine broad, five point one two short shuttle, and here's the disaster, the eight point oh eight three cone. Yeah. I mean, it's very bad. And there's really bad the timeline. Yeah. Like Patrick Claibon from the NFL Network, he was there. Apparently, this was like his seventh or eighth attempt. Oh, I, wow. I'm still not clear if what the exact number was. Apparently, if you want to sort of take the, you know, try to explain this away, apparently the surface was slick. So he had slipped a bunch of times. So he had a couple of different cracks at it. So this was attempt seven or eight. And so maybe at this point, you know, you've been there. We've all been there. Maybe it's icy or snowy or something. You've fallen or slipped a couple of times. You sort of you're cautious with your steps, and so maybe that's what's happening. That's the I'm What's an up? ex-lawyer. I'm trying to make right, the best right. case I can kind of situation. He's your client, that right? Is a bad number. That is a very bad number. And let's not forget, this is a guy who was disinvited from the combine. You know, because. The, the, the background check, the off-the-field issues. So he's got some issues to begin with. So he has to do so it. So he's he has got to do Right, good. right, right. And he posts this. Yes, this is the all-time sack leader on down the line. You've got the production on film. This is going to make people wary. You've probably seen him more than me, but I watched him pretty early in the process because he did beat Terrell Suggs' sack record. No one has had more sacks at the college level than Jalen Ferguson. So I watched him a fair amount and thought... That's not a first-round athlete. I don't like the way he bends. Yeah, he plays hard, and you know he's productive, clearly. Um, I'm glad you mentioned the weather conditions in the slick field, because that would be... I, I feel for the prospect if that truly is the case, because poor guy didn't get to go to the Combine, which I think is a dumb rule. I would think that's exactly who you want to go to the Combine, so everybody could talk to him. And then, in whatever conditions had to deal with this, but... If his change of direction is poor, and if his three-cone is poor, and on tape, I didn't think it would be great to begin with, this kills him. Yeah, yeah, it's, and, you know, and from watching him on film, you saw more linear than, like you said, bend. 
and yeah. three cone, it's change of direction, it's ankle flexion, it's all that stuff that you're going to need to do. Like when you're watching some of the edge guys, like I've just got on my screen right now, I've got some Nick Bosa tape just playing. I just happened to be clicking on an article about Jalen Ferguson. And you can see him turn the corner. You can see that ankle flexion there, which is that change of direction stuff you need to run the arc and then get home and flatten as a pass rusher. If Ferguson can't do that, then what are you drafting him for? You know, that's right, his right, right. job. That's So this is a bad thing for him. If a team is going to still draft him, he's going to have to crush some of the official you know, team visits, some private workouts and things like that, because this is not good. Yeah, and he really has to have a case of, hey, the turf, the footing was bad, because otherwise, I don't care how nice a guy you are, as an edge player with a really right. poor three-cone, I'm really losing interest. I mean, for people that don't know... This is the most telling drill for me for Edge. And, you know, Vaughn Miller had an amazing time. J.J. Watt had an amazing time. I mean, the guys that really tear it up, it really translates to the NFL. Yeah, and, you know, we talk so often here and elsewhere about, you know, trying to emulate what the Patriots do. The Patriots, they look at Threeco. I mean, period. Mm-hmm. And it's why we joked a week ago about Easton Stick and how he was going to end up in New England as the next because of his three cone time and so you know whether it's you know edge players this is the one that matters unless you're like an offensive lineman when they don't even do the three cone like this is a game that is won in the first couple of steps whether it's beating a guy one-on-one on on a pass rushing situation beating the guy off the line of scrimmage it's that quick explosive change of direction stuff and three cone tests that this is a bad number for him he's going to have to rebound somehow I'm curious to see. I'd have to look at the rest of the pro day times. Did other people have similar struggles, or was this just him? Yeah, and right. So he's got, you know, more question marks from a situation that began with question marks because of the dumb combine disinvitation. And like you said, you're a lawyer, and if he was my 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 client, I might go, "Hey, look on tape. He's better than this. If you give him a chance, he'll shave a second off of it. You just didn't have that opportunity." Maybe he's a fifth rounder that you know ends up playing like a second rounder. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, but he totally. That's his glass half full as you could spin it. But you know, yeah, you know what I'm I mean, you're you're really spinning it at this point. And you know, this was a player that you know I'd have to go back and look at mocks, but he was getting you know maybe some day two type buzz. Some day I saw him in round one, and buzz. I always shook my head about that. Some, yeah, I mean, there were some mocks that had a look because of the production. You'd sneak him into the back half. There's the Marcus Davenport comp that I've seen floating out, like Jim Nagy from yeah. the Senior Bowl kind of floated that out. This three cone, I think, is going to dissuade people from doing that because I don't, I can't imagine a team looking at this and saying, "Yeah, that's a first round pick." Now, I, I don't. Mean, see- he was an off. He was a fringe first rounder before this, right, right? And he's had a bad draft cycle. I don't see Davenport speed the power, you know, or bend, you know. And no. I didn't love Davenport to be honest with you. I thought he no. got overdrafted. Yeah. Um, let's talk Alabama Pro Day, too. And Quinnen didn't work out. And some of these guys did well at the combine. They're not going to work out. They're going to hang out with teams and fraternize and chat and all those things. But there's two I thought were kind of noteworthy. Mac Wilson, we haven't heard a lot from him. He ran a 4.65, had a 33-inch vertical, and a 10-1 broad. Fine. I mean, I, I didn't think he was going to be Bush or White's level. He wasn't quite... But that's fine. I think he's in yeah. competition to be third linebacker off the board. 
Yeah, I think that those were fine numbers for him because part of what you're getting with Mac Wilson as opposed to some of the other guys is you're getting Saban's mind in a sense because mm-hmm. you're getting a guy that has run basically as close as you're going to get to an NFL defense at the collegiate level in Saban's sort of Rip Liz and all that fun stuff that we can talk about. And so you're getting sort of a veteran, experienced type linebacker mind and some traits and athleticism that maybe isn't up to par with some of the other linebackers, you know, whether it's white, for example, or others, but you're getting a guy that can come in and sort of take over and be a leader at the linebacker position. And so I think that was fine. I wasn't expecting like you, I wasn't expecting to come out and run, say in the force, you know, fives Mm. or anything like that. I wasn't expecting him to test out of the gym, a 39 and a half inch vertical, anything like that. I think he's sort of a, he's a Dante Hightower type and Alabama linebacker, you're going to get, I think, some mental process in there that you need the linebacker spot. So this, I think, was a good enough day for him. He he didn't have a Jalen Ferguson-type pro day. No, right. I mean, We, we you, see that, you're like, okay, we can move on. Yeah, right. right. It's good enough. Check the yeah. box. Do you yeah. think he's probably the third inside linebacker taken or third, second-level player taken? I, I think so. Yeah. I mean, you look at the other guys, and they flash a bit more. There's probably some more upside with them. He might have the better floor, but... Upside is typically what drives, you know, earlier picks. People banking on the look. If this guy hits, he's going to be fantastic, you know. And so I think he's probably the third guy. But that's but he's I a think still rounder. a second rounder. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but still an earlier pick than you know some of the other linebackers we're looking at. Some of the other guys we're going to talk about. Mm-hmm. Like if my Steelers miss out on Bush, yeah, take him in at the twenty, you know, certain pick in the second round, and you'll probably yeah. be okay, you know. Yeah. Or the Bengals, or you know, a lot of teams like that. Yep. Um, widely regarded as the top running back in this draft, Josh Jacobs. Um, to me, he's the only one that has a chance to go in round one, and I'd probably give him a less less than fifty percent chance to do yep. so. But he had a thirty-five inch vertical. He had eighteen reps. Um, but the the scuttlebutt is he ran somewhere between a four-six-three and a four-six-six. However, I just watched Daniel Jeremiah's recap of it. Just the you know a couple minute blurbs. And they mentioned he still might be getting over a groin. And what you don't see here in the numbers was, I guess, all his drills and the way he looks and caught the ball were all very, very positive. Yeah. And it's, it's, I think it's hard to be a running back in this day and age, right? Because we're into this sort of realm now where people are wondering how much the run game matters. Mm-hmm. Why take an early pick on a running back? Because you can get a guy day two, day three undrafted. And because so much of the running game is dependent upon how we have the blocking up front, the scheme calls, whether you're running against light or you know heavy boxes and things like that, that you don't need to be an otherworldly type talent to be successful at the running back position and so these jacobs numbers yes he might be dealing with the groin still we're hearing that i heard that as well i saw that as well unless you sort of have the saquon type background or the explosiveness or things like that it's hard to imagine teams going early at the running back position Mm -hmm. and this is just a weird running back class to begin with i mean we've got you know george's pro day right now elijah holyfield running in the four eights yeah i don't think he's drafted i don't yeah i mean he as a fullback, maybe? Right. I he mean, better be so th- pretty darn good on special teams. Yeah. Um, so it's just a strange running back class. And 
and part of it might be now with the game, the way the game has evolved offensively, that running backs are asked to do just more specialized things, you know. And so maybe you might see more slot type guys get drafted to be quote unquote running backs, but they're third down backs. And you might get a guy like a Jason, you know, Jacobs or even a Holyfield get drafted to be the between the tackles guy for a, a certain package of plays. But it's so specialized now that maybe you're not going to get that full every down back. Maybe there's you know one or two that come along every couple of years. We saw Ezekiel Elliott, Saquon Barkley, but I don't think there's one in this class. No, and to me, it'd be nice. I mean, I wasn't there, but I wouldn't ding Jacobs too bad for what I what I know about what happened because the drills were good. You have to realize that the groin probably wasn't 100. percent He had, he didn't break a lot of long runs at Alabama either. I'm not sure that's his right. game. You know, Lev Bell doesn't break long runs, but. They're explosive, they're powerful, they're hard to bring down, they're versatile. Uh, I, I still think he's clearly the best running back in this class. Yeah, I think so too. Um, but the ultimate question is, where does that get drafted? Right, right, right. And I think this might be more a, you know, if you're at the end of the first round, you might need to address running back, like the Eagles, for example, or I another team. The Eagles or the Raiders. The Raiders yeah. have all those picks. Raiders got yeah. three first-round picks. I mean, they right. might as well throw a flyer, you know, a running back. So, you know, in the 20s or 30s, that might happen. Um, so maybe he's you know, 27 or 29 or 35 early on day two. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I don't think we're going to see him in top 10, top 15. What's no. interesting, though, is I'm sitting here, Mr. Quarterback guy, saying, you know, so much of it is dependent upon the other issues. When do we get there with quarterback? I, I, I do wonder if at some point we get there to the quarterback position where people realize that you can get a guy on day three. And if you get the good stuff around him, he can be successful. I'm just wondering. That's throwing yeah. that out there. Something to chew on this offseason. <laughs> it is, it is. Maybe we'll have a whole podcast in that, that line it. of thinking. Um, we're going to take a quick break. I'll be back. we got a couple more other college things to talk about, and then we're going to wrap this thing up with a little bit of Patriots talk. So I'll be back in a moment. All right. It is Wednesday, a little afternoon Eastern, and today is Ohio State's Pro Day, which, like Alabama, of course, every team will be at. It's a big event. Um, but i got to say, these Pro Days don't matter all that much to me. I mean, like, Quinn and Williams didn't do anything. I don't think Bosa's doing anything. Um, a lot of people aren't going to run drills because they did well enough at the Combine. Haskins is throwing, and I think you almost have to if you're him. I mean, because it'd be a red flag to me if you didn't. But I almost feel like if I'm at a quarterback's pro day, you pretty much have nowhere to go but down. I mean, like, you better have a great showing at your pro day. I mean, it's a scripted throw into your guys and your building. I mean, you better do well. Yeah, you better do well. And for the most part, you know, quarterback pro days don't matter. I mean, I think for a guy like like Tyree Jackson, I think in a sense his pro day mattered a bit because he's got some yeah. mechanical issues. And you want to see those get cleaned up. I mean, I want to stand next to you while you throw. Yeah, right. I want to see the ball pop out of your hands and things yeah. like that. But, you know, when we hear the reports like Kyler Murray was like 61 of 64 on his pro <laughs> right. day, he better have been. Yeah, you know? I don't need the stats. Yeah, I don't. I mean, if you can't hit at least, you know, 75, 80% of your throws on a pro day, then, like you said, you've got nowhere to go but down. And so, you know, and yeah, it's scripted. They've run through this before. Haskins has probably, you know, simulated this pro day five or six or seven different times. I mean, so he knows every route he's going to throw, who he's going to be throwing it to, and when. And so, yeah, you expect him to be good. But it's just another box that gets checked. At this point, this is the part of the draft process where, you know, the scouts, and the scouting directors and the personnel directors, they're starting to sort of get their board set. And so you can have like a performance at a pro day. Maybe it moves the needle a tiny bit. But really what matters is 
sitting down with these teams, mm-hmm. you know, the meetings. And we just heard that, you know, Haskins before, had dinner yeah, right, with yeah, right. the Giants people. You know, that's when you get the feel for the person, not the player. And sometimes that's what it might come down to. Do you feel comfortable, especially at the quarterback position, turning the keys to the franchise over to this guy for what you hope to be the next seven, eight, ten years? And so that's what's really going to move the needle, I think, because then you get ownership involved. And sometimes ownership, you know, they want you to go in a different direction. Your scouts and everybody might be saying, look, you know, player A is our guy, but ownership likes the vibe with player B. Yeah, and I need to do more work on these dinners because – I I had never paid much attention to it over the years, but now that I've been so close with the Steelers, it, I guess they're one of the top dogs at doing this. And and again, I'm just learning. I'm in like phase three of learning about these dinners because like the Steelers went to Michigan, they took out Gary Bush, Winovich in the corner. I'm like, well, what about the 31 other teams? <laughs> you know, right. and, and I do think some of those guys go like to four dinners in the night before their pro day, <laughs> you know, like yeah. it, it's crazy. Uh, like you, you, you really try to, it, you can actually get an unfair advantage of you actually get, you're one of the teams that actually gets to take them to dinner. It's crazy. Yeah, it is crazy. And it's just another way of sort of like bending the rules in a sense. Right, like, right. Oh, you know, you're going to use the opportunity to have, yeah, let's go have a dinner. But then you get like sort of this extra meeting with them and you do get that sort of feel for them. I mean, is it sort of a test in a sense? Like, all right, well, we have found that the guys that order chicken at these dinners, right. like they eat do salad. better. Yeah, you know, they eat salad. Oh, you know, <laughs> but what does it say? Like, if a guy comes in and orders like the 96er and he like takes on the big steak, like, does that tell you that he's like got that competitive toughness? Like, is that where we're going with these? Or is it just a chance to get to know these guys? Given some of the questions we hear guys get asked at the combine. Uh, it wouldn't shock me, I, right. It wouldn't shock me to see people thinking like, oh, if they're ordering salads, I'm a little bit worried about their competitive toughness. <laughs> This is a total sidebar. I didn't plan on going down this road, but just this summer, um, I had heard a story. You know, remember Lee Flowers? He was a safety yeah. from the Steelers. Yeah. Well, he was a free agent, and the Eagles were very interested. So he went to a, a free agent dinner with Andy Reid. They sit there and they both get a steak. They have a nice dinner. Lee's telling us a story, and then the waiter comes back and Reid orders another steak. <laughs> And Lee comes back to Pittsburgh. He's like, man, that dude could eat. You know, like, I thought I had a big steak. Reed just had two. Like, his dessert was a T-bone. That is fantastic. (laughs) You know, that would, I mean, if you're one of these draft prospects, I think that's That's what what I would do. Especially an offensive lineman. Right. Like, when they come around and be like, would anybody like to see a dessert menu? I'm like, no, bring the steak menu back, please. Right. I'll take King Crab Legs or, yeah, Yeah. the the 64-ouncer. That's the move. That is the move. Yeah. And just crush it. Yeah. Leave a little That's on your chin. Yeah, exactly. Um, all right. A little quarterback conversation you wanted to have, too. Talking, and I'm not sure this applies to Haskins as much, but it certainly does with Drew Locke, um, Josh Allen. Yeah. <sighs> Arm talent is a wonderful thing. Some think it's an overrated thing. I'm more in the, the camp that it's now underrated because everyone doesn't care about it anymore. Um, but... The way you phrased it was, it's a double-edged sword. And yeah. I think where you were going with this is, if you're Flacco or Allen or some of these guys have had monster arms, it's been somewhat of a cheat code through your whole life as a quarterback yeah. because you don't have to be a great anticipatory passer. You can wait a beat late and then gun that thing in the hole. Yep. yep. That's exactly right. And, Cam you know, Newton. I, 
my sort of, of evolution on arm talent has been interesting because you, we all know like self-scouting is part of the deal. Like you've got to sort of look at how you're looking at players and tweak things and things like that. And, you know, I used to be firmly in the camp that arm talent doesn't really matter. Like you can mm-hmm. get away with it. But when you look at, say, Josh Allen and how he sort of acclimated himself to life in the NFL and you can sort of look at some other players, it's a nice thing to have. And so I'm starting to soften my stance on the arm talent issue. But the double-edged sword then is an issue with it is still with Allen and it is with Locke. And you look at both of these guys and there are times when you can see if they get the ball out sort of a second or two earlier, they're going to have a big play for their offense. I mean, I just got done doing a quick little video for Drew Locke when he throws a vertical route against Wyoming against the cover two and it goes down for a big gain, but it should have been picked and the NFL would be because he waits on it. And he threw a pick against South Carolina that I highlight as well. That was two years ago where it's clear that the out route is going to be open, but he waits on it. And so my fear with Allen and and Drew Locke, these guys that have always had the arm, the hammer to go back on where it bailed them out all the time is that because of that, they rely on it to to such an extent that the mental side doesn't sort of get caught up as it needs to be. They've always had it. They know they have it. it. Right, right. You know, and so you think like, look, you know, I don't need to be as fast with my reads because I know that the arm is going to make up the difference. Mm-hmm. And that's good enough to win games, you know, in the Mountain West. That might be good enough to win games in the SEC. But on Sunday, when you're facing a secondary that you're going to see in the NFL, it might not be good enough. And then you need that arm to sort of, you know, it's still there, but you need the mind to speed up. And that's my fear with some of these guys that have these hammers. And for some quarterbacks, they've been able to do that. Joe Flacco is an example where the mind gets sped up and you can have that career. But there have been a lot of big-armed type passers that they never got there mentally, and it sort of prevented them from having the kind of NFL career. And so with a guy like Locke, that's part of my hesitation with him. I still think he gets drafted in the top 15. You know, but that's what we're going to need to see from him. And mm-hmm. that's what we need to see from Josh Allen, too, this year. Does the mental start part of it start to get sped up? If it does, he might surpass my expectations for him. But if not, that might be the thing that holds him back. Yeah, no, that's well said. And in a way, it's almost like Russell Wilson, Kyler Murray. Like, you know, you yeah, hear that report- no, I'm talking about the size. You know oh, that yeah, yeah. you know, like a reporter will ask Russell Wilson, Well, what's it like to be a five ten quarterback? Well, I don't know what it's like to be a six five quarterback. I've been one on my whole life. You know, it's kinda like you don't know what it's like to have a Chad Pennington arm because I got this rifle on my right shoulder. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and I don't I don't need to worry about anticipation. I don't right. need to worry about things like that because the arm makes up for it. Well, there might come a time that you need to start using that. Because the arm might not always be there. I mean, that's the other thing that we see with athletic quarterbacks. I mean, like RG3. He was always able to race everybody to the edge and win until he gets to the NFL. Mm -hmm. And that he's not the fastest guy on the team, or at least not the fastest guy by so much. And now you have to do more from the pocket, and that's when you sort of get into trouble. And then obviously he had the leg injury. But, you know, that might be the issue with Kyler Murray. You know, right now he's that angle eraser that if he races you to the edge, chances are he's going to outrun you. And that's fine against the Army. Does it work against, say, New England or Kansas City or any sort of athletic defense? It might not work, and then he's going to have to be might even for a year or two. Yeah, and then you tweak an ankle or you get a little older, you know, and like just it's not going to be there forever. It won't be. He's not going to be twenty four forever. Right, right. Um, Let's let's take another break, and we're going to do a a Patriot segment. You and I have not done a lot of Patriot talk. Um, Not a lot going on, but in a way, that's the whole topic of conversation. Yep. All right, we'll be right back. Okay, 
your New England Patriots, I don't think, have surprised anyone. They didn't go break the bank on a free agent. They've lost more than they've gained. That probably isn't by accident with the comp pick situation, you know, and we're going to see the Patriots on day two of this draft basically just pick after pick after pick. They've arranged themselves very well in that regard. I just pulled up a list of players added versus players lost. I'm going to rattle them off real quick. Here's some guys they've added, not a lot of big names or, or kept. I mean, Maurice Harris, Mike Pennell, Philip Dorsett, John Simon, Terrence Brooks, Matt Lacoste, Brandon Bolden, Jason McCourty, that's newsworthy, starter, Bruce Ellington. And these are the guys they've lost, many of them to big money. Trent Brown, Trey Flowers, Malcolm Brown, Cordero Patterson, Eric Rowe, Adrian Weddle, Adrian Claiborne, Chris Hogan, Danny Shelton. Obviously, a lot more name value in the guys that walked out the door in Foxborough. Yeah. I mean, you're, you, when you just start off with Trent Brown and Trey Flowers, I mean, those are right. two cornerstone-type guys out the door. And so, you know, they've got some cap issues. You know, I'm looking at it right now. They're 3.396 million under the cap. So they don't have a ton of cap space. And so they need to do some issues. They need to work some things out from that end. They're going to do the things that they usually do, which is get some guys on the cheap. They've got the 12 draft picks. Sure, they're not going to make all of them. No. But they'll get some guys in. They'll get some guys that I anticipate if they, you know, say they make seven of the picks or eight of the picks, they'll get some guys that I think can probably start. You know, they've got some early picks, too. I mean, they've got three in the first two rounds. And so, you know, they're sort of retooling. What, what's been interesting is the pieces that they added, I think, give you a window to how they're going to look next year. Because you add Michael Bennett via trade, which I think mm-hmm. was a nice sort of cheap, low-risk type addition. Because if they somehow decide to cut him, no, zero dead cap money, and he saves $7.2 million against the cap right now because it's a very team-friendly contract. So I think that was a nice acquisition for them. The Mike Pennell acquisition from watching him on film, kind of excited about what he, what he can do in the interior, especially paired with Lawrence Guy, who had a very good year. And the Patriots just did right by him because he missed on a, a player bonus by like a couple of snaps or something like that. Um, yeah, he was uh, it was a playing time incentive for 50 percent. and He was at forty nine point six. He just missed it. So they oh, gave wow. him a, a four hundred thousand dollar bonus, which was would have been that incentive. And so they did that. They did something similar for white as well. And so they're they're helping some of the guys. It's all sort of under the radar. People thought maybe a big trade for A.J. Green or something like that. They're going to nibble around the edges of free agency like they always do sort of load up in the draft. They don't have a ton of holes. I mean, they got to figure out left tackle now. They're going to need to figure out a pass rush situation with Trey Flowers. But left tackle, you hope Isaiah Wynn pans out. They probably yeah. draft somebody. You know, but as far wide as receiver rush, worries me. Tight end wide worries me. Wide receiver is a concern. Tight end is a concern. You're obviously worried about Gronk. But with wide receiver, it's a deep group. Right. You know, there are probably a bunch of guys you will see come off the board and say that late day two, early day three range that are going to be starters in this league or at least – you know, rotational type players as rookies. This is a very deep tight end class. I mean, how's that worked it, out for uh, New England on the wide receiver front, though, over the years? Yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean. Is, is always it's a tough system a to come in and learn, begin. right? Right. It's always a crap to begin with. And then when you think about the New England offense, where there is so much they put on wide receivers in terms of adjusted routes and side adjustments, and you know, changing your route based on the coverage and things like that, it's tough. And so the Bruce Ellington thing is a is going to be their plan B type situation for that third wide receiver who we expect to be 
Edelman, I guess Philip Dorsett, maybe you get something out of Josh Gordon. Ellington's sort of that move type guy that does a lot of motion and option routes, which is what New England does. And they he's like the ultimate fantasy goes. sleeper. Like that yeah, guy might I have mean, a big year. He had a wide receiver one week last yeah. year. Yeah, he's flashed one week because of him, and then he just fell off the radar. And mm-hmm. so, you know, wide receiver is a concern. Tight end, I do believe they're going to double dip a tight end, even though they just signed Matt Lacoste, who I literally had to Google who that was. <laughs> I, <laughs> I wasn't positive I it was either. Matt yeah. generated name. Um, I do think in this deep tight end group, they will probably, I think, go early ish on tight end, whether it's an Irv Smith whether one of the Iowa guys falls miraculously mm-hmm. to them. And then probably sometime early on day three, whether it's like a Dax Raymond, a kid I like from Utah State, or maybe it's that uh, Khalid Warren, the San Diego yeah, State kid. Right. They'll probably double dip a tight end. Um, I'm hearing rumblings about something about the tight end issue. The Jared Cook name is lingering out there, so they'll probably look for a couple of additions to tight end. But yeah, tight end wide receiver, figure it out left tackle. Now they need a swing tackle. Uh, with it, Adrian Waddle gone, you need that backup tackle. That's mm-hmm. who that he was. So, I mean, they've got to do some stuff around the edges, but the core is going to be there. Number oh, yeah. 12 and, and Belichick are going to be there. And so, yeah, I'm done worrying about them or thinking yeah, they're done as long as those two are there. Right. What's, what's fascinating, Matt, you know, and obviously being sort of plugged into the New England media aspect of this, the panic has begun again. Really? I mean, this is a team that has won six Super Bowls, and people are, you know, there are people up in Boston saying, you know, Belichick's out of the beach in Barbados. What is he doing? He's not making any moves. And it's like, <laughs> if you haven't gotten acclimated to what they do by now, you're never going to, because this is how they do it. If you were expected big, splashy type moves on the first day of free agency when they're pressed up against the cap anyway, you are setting yourself up for disappointment. Right, right. I mean, Gilmore is one of the only guys I can remember that yeah. they've been aggressive with. And I mean, Gilmore, Revis, Revis like, yeah. things like that. But there wasn't a type of player out there. And those were two corners. They're corners, right. I mean. They put a lot of pressure on their corners. Yeah. Um, last little note, and you kind of alluded to this already. They do have a lot of picks. But I'm expecting one of those thirds to turn into a future second. You know, uh, something along those lines. They'll They'll push it forward. Um, or one of those fourths turn into a veteran, you know, like I bet yeah. that they're, they're not going to bring in a, a whole buttload of rookies. I don't think so. I mean, you look, I mean, and some of the numbers might be a little bit off because I'm seeing different numbers, different places, but you've got 32, 56, 64. So you've got three in the first two rounds. I would imagine they make two of those three, mm-hmm. you know, you got two Tight picks, end. 56 and 64. You might see them move up in the second round if one of those tight ends falls or something like that. So that would be an area to watch them, you know, shave a pick or two. You know, they've got three in the third at 78, 98, and 102 around there. They probably make two of those. The area of the draft I'm watching is between 135 or so and 207. Belichick traditionally hates fifth-round picks. Dave Archibald over at Inside the Pylon wrote a great piece a couple of years ago about how Belichick just hates fifth-round picks for some hmm. reason. Never but that's a that. big gap. Yeah, from like right. 130 to like 207. And especially when you're looking at it, you do simulated drafts and things like that, you see some of those quarterbacks come off the board in that range, like a Tyree Jackson, like a Brett Rippon, like a Ryan mm-hmm. Finley, the guys I think the Patriots might be eyeing. So it wouldn't surprise me to see them sort of actually make a fifth-round pick or do something in the middle because that's a big gap, like 70 picks or so. And then they've got four seventh-round picks. I can't imagine they make all of those. So, no, right. They've got 12. I figure between seven or eight is probably what they end up doing. And I'm really curious to see what they do, like I said, in the second, what they do in the third round with those three picks there, and how they address that big gap between, say, 135 and 207 or so. 
Mark, you are the man. I've, I've told you guys this many times, but we do have a lot of new listeners. Mark does all kinds of things all over the internet, but he's also the host of Locked On Patriots. If you want more Patriots talk, go do that, or your favorite team, Locked On Rams, Locked On Raiders, whatever you're in the mood for. And thank you for tuning in. Remember, you can subscribe to this show on the new Himalaya Podcast app, as well as Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. And do me this favor, when you get in your car, tell your smart device to play podcast, Locked on NFL. Folks, that's a wrap. I will be back with Mike Sando from ESPN tomorrow. Very, very good show. As usual, Mark, you and I could have talked for a very long time. We could do the show. We should turn this into an hour-long show, man. We I know. Simulcast it on TV or something. <laughs> always fun, my friend. Always a blast to be with you, buddy. Absolutely. Thanks, everyone, and I will be back tomorrow.